don't want any more suppositories. <laughs> it just it hurts too bad. It just it hurts too bad. I'd rather just, throw up. Yeah. <laughs> Great for you. Totally. Cha, 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 cha. Yeah. Come on, man. Please say it. Please say it. Please. I don't feel well. I want to get the fuck out of here. Tell him, Steve Dave. Thank you. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Tell em Steve Dave, broadcasting from the Jane Silent Bob Gentleman's Club. There is glitter all over me. I can only imagine a parade of strippers were shopping for comics. Well, is that what this glitter's about? Not as <laughs> exciting as that. More just type of like painting with glitter. Just had this little uh, artistic um, urge to experiment with glitter, and uh, yeah? it's been a big mistake. It's it's so much of a messy. And uh, problemsome. So you're getting, doing getting it off the poker table, getting getting it on my clothes constantly. But I came into some free glitter, so that's really what happened. Like, right. Know. I mean, how are you supposed to turn that down? <laughs> free glitter. <laughs> I came into a case of free glitter, and I was like, "All right, I'm going to use this." And uh, I've been painting with glitter, and you know, doing some special things. Right. Nothing like really it. all that great. Though. Usually, glitter and art projects are reserved for special needs and therapy, but. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Uh, well, we don't have Q here, but we have someone very special, and maybe even more handsome. I, I, I don't debate that at all. No? no, not at all. I mean, this dude, like, what my life might have been like if I had the looks of a Brian Michelle versus a Brian Johnson. <sighs> the puss. The nonstop puss. I can only imagine. Brian Michelle, the uh, former showrunner of Comic Book Men. Which I learned today is an exec producer and showrunner was just sort of invented for. Yeah, showrunner is sort of what – it's like an inside business term, inside mm-hmm. yeah, entertainment term. People use it, but you, you never see it on screen. It, it hasn't become its own credit. Think what, about it. And that means you run everything, right? You run the show? Yeah, you're kind of the creative leader of the show. There's, a, there's usually a bunch of executive producers. You got your network people, your people who uh, – or run the production company, and people are getting executive producer credit, uh, you know, for various reasons. But there's generally one showrunner who uh, often gets an executive producer or a co-executive producer credit, and that is the person who is, you know, running the show day to day in the trenches. The big kahuna. Yeah. Yeah, the boss. The boss man. Oh, yeah. Big boss man. Mm-hmm. It's very rare that you or I stay in contact with people um, from the past. Like, we don't make new friends Usually, no. uh, so staying in contact with Brian and Michelle for both of us is it's rare. It is but rare. Is I, that- but I have a habit though. Like bosses love me. Oh yeah, yeah. Former bosses, they all seem to really love me. Like my old boss, Timmy. Timmy, you know? yeah. Where was Timmy from? Uh, where I used to work at the community the center when yeah. I was when I was a younger guy. Where you know working with you know children in need. Yes, I've heard many a tale from the rec center. Yeah. So you went from the rec to the stash to the I show. Kind of, I'm sure Kev still loves me too. You know. I'd have to say so. Yeah. yeah. So if like, asked. So like, yeah, so the bosses, I don't know what you, it is. You know, Universally beloved. By, uh, bosses. by bosses. By bosses. 
Well, so everyone else we got to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I loved you. If, listen, if you want to call me, uh, if I was ever your boss, uh, I'm honored. To oh, have you're that definitely the boss. Title, but I, the, the, um, yeah, because with that comes the respect. We, we at least let him think. Definitely it. <laughs> had you were definitely the boss and was very, but a good boss, one of the best ones I ever had. Well, I think I think the thing is. Um, I never felt like you were a boss, but I respected your opinion on nearly everything. So, so it's like you just agree. There's no reason to uh, get into it. But that didn't come. But not that didn't come initially right away though. That was that built over. <laughs> did like, you notice it all? <laughs> <laughs> I did. I noticed a change from the icy coldness uh, when I first entered uh, the stash here. Oh, you're back. Uh, <laughs> <hey>. <laughs> Don't try telling us what to do. Don't try to be funny. Oh no, I was, no. It was never. It was never that. That it was more like just that. Um, I don't want any of you here. Yeah. I just want to do my own thing. I don't care about TV. And I don't they, care about any of this shit. Like, it's hard to trust somebody because you because you feel you come across a little bit like a, a used car salesman. Like this will be great for you. Totally. Cha, 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 cha. Yeah, come yeah, on, yeah. man, do this. It'll be great. I think they called that Eric Duncaning. <laughs> 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 he was Michelle's right hand man for many seasons. You know, I, uh, I I I see that I come off that way. But I feel like not that I, I don't try to do that, but I feel like the energy I feel about something or what I can envision something being, I have to impart that to you guys or whoever is the cast in front of me. Uh, so I'll often, on, on, I guess subconsciously, try to convey it to you. Like, okay, this is happening and it's going to be awesome. Yeah, enthusiasm. Yeah, you, but you, you tried to like, you know, inject me with enthusiasm, which mm -hmm. sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. I wish you'd try to inject me with Delauded. I would have been a lot happier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, listen, I was just like I was saying to Brian before, um, look, I, I just referenced something that none of these people heard. Mm -hmm. But um, I was saying that before, like I, I immediately entered and knew I was not going to be a heavy-handed producer with you guys. Heavy-handed in the sense where I'd be like, this is your character and this is your character and you guys are going to do this and then you should say this and then he'll say this. Like I would never – the minute I, I met you guys, I'm like, just stand back, give them the room to do what they do. That's sort of been my mantra from the show from the beginning. So you guys already had – you know, great personalities that were fully formed from life and from podcasting. So it really made my job easy. And so, yeah, I, I, but I could see me coming in with that enthusiasm feeling like, what the hell is this guy trying to sell? Us? <laughs> what is he trying to make me be? Well, yeah, I mean, cause you're not going into a place where the guys aren't cynical yeah, and yeah. suspicious. It's like, it's like next level cynicism almost. No, and it's just like the, the, you know, the name TV producer carries with it lots of negative connotations, you know, that, that right. Walt, I think, aptly put as used car salesman. Yeah. I mean, because we had come off the first one that we had the first guy who was in charge who didn't last very long. Scarf like dude. Wanted, yeah, wanted like Ming to go out on stage in a nude Speedo, right? Or mm. something like that. And we would pull his clothes That off. was that guy. No, we were all going to go out in – Bathrobes or something on on stage at the Count Basie. The, the theater. Yeah, it was something that. really weird. Something really bizarre. They wanted to humiliate Ming. Yeah, like almost show him naked or at least in his underwear. <laughs> yeah, I remember Walt was like, "What? We're gonna pants him in front of?" Mm -hmm. It was really just like, "Ugh." I'm yeah. gonna withhold any comment because that guy's one of my best friends in the world. Yeah, okay. Pete. Yeah, he Pete Delashio. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Nice guy, but his ideas were just not. Well, not us. They probably would work for any other four dudes. They would have probably. Right. I mean, they're not saying they're just for us. It just didn't. It didn't come across. Didn't 
gel with the way I think we yeah. were. And um, that's why it took a little bit – coming off that, it took a little bit longer probably to trust – and to realize, you know, that you weren't a car salesman, you know. Yeah, yeah. That, that, you know, Pete's biggest flaw was just not being from New Jersey. Oh, yeah? I think so. I've told him that. But the greatest thing that ever happened to me, well, I don't know, besides, you know, whatever, my children being born and stuff. <laughs> They're not going to hear it. You can say it. <laughs> the greatest professional thing ever happened to me, uh, you know, just falling ass backwards. And the comic book men, you know, came at the expense of Pete Delasio, who, you know, we were working in the same office. And so I was with him while, you know, this you was got being the call. developed. and. Yeah, and then I kind of saw you hiring? go down. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, I know, and I say, you know, and he went I, to IJ, right? Uh, he did. He did. Yeah, yeah he went yeah, to yeah. IJ. Yeah. So it all it all worked out, but I, I'll still bust his balls about that. Like you know, your big mouth got me like the greatest gig and a nice fucking seven year run. He said something to the uh, Elise or something. I thought he said something. Uh, yeah, he's like chauvinistic or some yeah. shit, and that got her mad. No, it was like he was something about footage that was never going to be used, and um, and that's really what, along uh, with like you know pantsing Ming in front of a fucking <laughs> a, a theater, a, a crowded theater. We're at the Count Basie. It's like I can't believe we're on stage at the Count Basie, and you want me to pull my yeah, friend's had, pants down? We hadn't even filmed anything. though. this was the right. very first thing we we're going to do. Yeah. The first thing they want us to do is go out to go on stage in front of a, a full packed audience and pull Ming's pants down, and I was like. That is not us. Yeah, not not no. right out of the gate. We had to wait till season three to get Ming in an orange speedo <laughs> in, least in the parking lot of the stash. At least it was consensual, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a big difference when he's like when he's like, yeah, "I'll do it." That's a big difference in him not knowing we're going to do it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like when you walk into a show, you know, one like this, you usually aren't met with people who are like, "We never thought we'd be on TV, and we really don't give a fuck if we're on TV now." Ming is not like that. Ming wanted it. Ming would be still doing it today even if they were like, you got to do it for free. <laughs> he wouldn't care. Uh, so when you walk in and immediately people are like, I don't know, I guess. Like if we don't do it our way, we're not gonna, we don't want to do it. But you are so like-minded with so many things. One of my favorite moments though is being told not to do something by you. And we were like behind the counter <clears throat> and there was some guy brought in a bunch of hockey shit devil stuff. And Walt was going to buy a gift for Kev. I think that was the yeah, storyline. And I had this piece, this like a little hockey statue of somebody, Gretzky maybe. And it was worth like 700 bucks or whatever. And I'm looking at it and every once in a while, Michelle would text me, you know, like do this, say this, whatever. And I get a text from it says, do not break that. (laughs) (laughs) And I was about to drop it. He was right. He like, that's how on the same level where I was about to drop it. I see the text. I'm like, I'm fine. (laughs) Yeah, people would come in and, this is my prized possession. Just promise me when you get it back at the end of this. I wanted to bobble it and let it hit the floor. (gasps) But nobody wanted to waste 700 bucks, I guess. Um, There are, uh, like you think back, like over seven seasons Everything was so truncated. Like we do everything from the beginning of July pretty much to the beginning of September. Right. Which is a lot of shit to get in for. Like do you normally shoot stuff that quickly or do they give you a little breathing room? No, you normally shoot stuff that quickly. Running gun as they say. Yeah, just get it done, you know. I mean – we had some packed days, you know. I mean, I, I really, I felt for you guys those days. We would just be, you know, I, w- I would just uh, not relent with the banter topics, you know. <laughs> we would do, you know, three transactions and then, you know, eight banter conversations. That's a lot of shit for you guys to generate, you know, from your mouths. Now, are those banter conversations still somewhere? Because, like, you look at an average episode. 
it's not uncommon that we would banter for an hour, hour and a half sometimes, like at the end of the day. So when you see the show and there's like literally 30 seconds of banter throughout the episode, you're like, where'd the rest go? Because you know there was some great stuff in there. Did they just purge it? Well, <laughs> I have to say, when you break it down, you start going through all of them. Uh, I feel like we just made it. Every season, I felt like, shit, we're going to have to shoot more banter. <laughs> just because- Really? Some of them yeah. felt so strong. No, exactly. That's why they were on TV. Or you mean ones that didn't end Even up on TV? Even ones that didn't end up on TV. Because like, you only use small parts of them. Yeah. I mean, everything we're saying, I mean, you may as well be spinning gold like fucking no. <laughs> Rubble still yeah. Yeah, shit. No, the banters, were, the banters were generally like 25 seconds to 50 seconds long. Yeah. Occasionally, there'd be a longer one. You know, but then it was an art. There was a couple of editors who were great at cutting banters. And, you know, you'd get a really long conversation. And you'd know that there's gold in there. And then they'd spit you back a 30-second version of it. And it's hysterical. Um, and it holds your interest all the time. And it was great when everybody, when all four of you could chime in and everybody could have, you know. And then there's sometimes you'd have multiple punchlines. It's like, oh, well, does, you know, Walt end it or does Brian end it? Um but yeah, it's funny. I would imagine you would feel that way because we kind of belabored it and it was like, talk, 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 kick this around. Over seven years, all that banter? Yeah. But Seems I think like so much. We we used a lot of it, you yeah. know? If, yeah. If you think about it, you know, there'd be sometimes a banter, always a banter at the top of the show. And then, uh, you know, before you get to a transaction, there's a banter. And also it's burned once you use that. It's like you can't go pick other stuff yeah, out of it even if it's good. Yeah, you in, you have your buttons to it. But uh, it was, those were the funnest times you know just you know even picking the banters became really fun you know we'd have the list and the list would would hold over from you know one season to the next and then there would be a master list of topics you know and then you know we used to say like we would i don't know why we were withholding the list from you guys (laughs) we would would yell them out oh yeah because you didn't want us to talk about it off camera right yeah and so then after a while we're like just give them the list (laughs) put a check next to the shit you want to talk about you know I've always wanted, like, for people who, um, who aren't aware, though, you came... How many shows did you do before Comic Book Man? TV shows? Yeah, or, like, just, like, stuff like... Oh. Well, because, like, you came from what, what I feel, almost every show you've done besides this is real manly shit. Real fucking, like, you know, macho... Guys are wrestling, wrestling and stabbing wild boars for their dinner. Right, like, you worked with men, <laughs> men's men, right? I mean, you're talking about, like... Like is, throwbacks, is that, yeah. is that, is guys that. who are tough as nails. So when you get the call, you're like, you're going to go work at a comic book store. <laughs> yeah. You've got to have preconceived notions. He did. And, and he admitted I, it. And <laughs> then I need to know, like, what, like, even after that, there must have been, like, the comparisons. It's got to be, like, two – it's got to be night and day. Uh, yeah, it, it, it is. I have to say, it's night and day, but in your favor because <laughs> we, we had we're manlier. No, you're not. You're not manlier. You know, but you're barely men. <laughs> but are you guys not? I don't think as transgender at this point. It, it, no, no. It was very. It was refreshing. It, but I, we had common ground. I didn't know how much my incessant television watching throughout the 70s and 80s would come into play. (laughs) You couldn't have known. Just like we couldn't have known. (laughs) Like, you know, I was doing Brady Bunch trivia games in college with people. You know what I mean? Like, and then to all of a sudden step in here and I'm like, I was intimidated because, you know, that the sort of the, the, uh, the cliche of nerds and comic book geeks, it's very intimidating to walk in and expect like the comic book guy from... Isn't that so weird though when you think about it? I guess it's like everybody though. You're intimidated, and yet 
I know I was intimidated by all these crew and all these people who know, like, you know, come from so what you would see, you know, on shows, worldly and everything. So you feel it's just weird that everybody's feeling intimidated and there was no need for it. Yeah. Well, well, it's the unknown, it so you know, yeah. well, fuck a couple of weak sisters. I wasn't intimidated by anyone. Oh, come no. on. You're not intimidated I, to like by these guys who know what they're doing and coming in and you're, and you're like, I don't know. To me, I'll I tell you why like, I wasn't because I knew what I was doing. All I had to do was sit there. Like I didn't ha- like you had a lot of heavy lifting. I was there to strategically make remarks to belittle people. Like that's much easier, I think, than not only carrying like the transactions and that kind of shit. Doing the work, I'm talking about intimidated, just like being around a crew, being around strangers, being around people, and hearing their war stories Mm -hmm. where they're talking about, you know, like yeah, it was fucking guy, he slid a fucking boars, and he drank the blood, and I'm like, all right, let's talk about Spider-Man, guys. Yeah, or you you could have slid a boar's throat if you wanted to. uh, (laughs) No, and what I was saying, we found we had common ground in the '70s and '80s pop culture. I didn't know anything about comics, and that's why I think I was really intimidated because of that reputation of. Like a comic book shop being like a really like geeky record store, right? Where you go in, they're judging every pick you do, and like you're gonna make some reference, and I'm not gonna know it. And you guys would be like, "What's who's this fraud in charge of a comic book show?" You know? And I, I admitted it to you guys. I'm like, guys, I, I think I, I read a comic in '77, '78, and that was it. Uh, well, coming in, you said you didn't think you'd like us because you thought it would be like for comic book guys from The Simpsons, just like douchebags. I don't think I said I wouldn't like you. You, you told me that. I remember you telling me that. Like, not having having not met us, you're like, I, I wasn't sure if I would like you guys. Okay, wasn't sure. I right. wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. That's true. Mm-hmm. But I, I, you know, listen, not that you needed to, but you won me over really quickly. I love you guys. I can't get enough. <laughs> I'm still here. Winning I, you over isn't the big problem. Winning him over. No, winning <laughs> That was the moment, you know? It, it was funny. There was that, just that one time, everybody on the show had that, where somebody would come to me and be like, hey, man. Walt just came up to me and just started talking to me. You know, I didn't know he could talk. Like, wow, man, he must really like me. That's huge. And every single network executive that every ever visited this uh, comic book shop, which we called our set at the time, uh, came up to me at some point and said something to the effect of, "Hey, man, does Walt have a problem with me?" And it all, again, it's all stems from like that intimidation of like you're like I'm just going to be quiet. I'm just not going to say anything to anybody. It's not because I'm trying to be aloof or I'm trying to be like a jerk. It's just like just not comfortable with myself. And that, and you know, and it comes across in a way that sometimes is not accurate, though. Walt, it's like with any sweet reward, <laughs> it's worth putting the time in to get to peel back the layers of a Walt Flanagan and get to that juicy, gooey center like a piece of freshen up gum. Sex. Yeah, I know. He's getting all hot <laughs> bothered over here. Aroused, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, 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 it was um, worth it. You know, you got to take your time with the Walt Flanagan. It's like when you go to somebody's house and they have a dog and you're trying to get the dog to pet you and the dog's like, right. you know, fuck you, yeah, I'm not going to pet you and you right. uh, keep going after it. Just ignore the dog. Well, that dog hates cool. everybody. He'll bite you. And then it comes over to you and he licks you and, he, and he's wagging his tail. And you feel like, oh, wow, that dog senses that I'm a good person. It yeah. makes you feel better about yourself. Yeah, it's like the Walt Flanagan of dogs. <laughs> he's over here. He's accepting. How did this happen? Right, you just I got to tell someone. <laughs> you need to let it happen. You can't, you can't force yourself on the Walt Flanagan. You need to let it happen. Yeah, natural. You know? yeah. yeah. Brian and I bonded very quickly. Yeah. Uh, over just our general anger and rage. At yeah, the we're world. cut from the same cloth in many ways. Yeah, very, very sort of violent fantasies and 
mm-hmm. that we like to express to each other, knowing that there'll be no judgments and most and no likely. one else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We keep that to ourselves. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 There are certain people, as soon as I'm done, I delete the text chain. I'm like, <laughs> people can't see this shit. Yeah. <clears throat> epic rants, you know. <clears throat> So it was good. We were good. We would we would vent our frustrations to each other. Mm-hmm. But I got to tell you, I, I usually not show related. By the way, no, certainly <laughs> no, not show related. The show was political crazy. shit. Yeah, <laughs> it was like, politi- and then just the random stuff around, you know, Red Bank that you'd run into, you know, and so well, actually, one of the, the the greatest things was just the ability to be creative, and for me to know to never try to stifle the creativity that went on with you guys. But we always talked about the what we called the Red Bank outfit, right? The, the, the teenage girls in the short, short, short cut-off jeans that look like underwear. This probably would be better in a text. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't remember that. I got no recollection. Yeah, they were like 19, 18. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and then you wanted to wear the, the shorts as a, like, a little homage uh, to the yeah, Red yeah. Bank outfit. You wore those, those shorts to the Batmobile visit down at the, the, uh, the dock there. Those shorts made uh, quite a few appearances there on IJ. This is unbelievable. The uh, pocket's hanging out. Do you have um, some your favorite top five memories uh, of comic book men? But like, even even if they didn't make make it on camera, Ooh. It's like even some behind the camera stuff that no one knows, like things that you'd be like, "Oh, that was I really fondly recall that." The time I yes, convinced I, I, the time I, I convinced Mike the show was canceled. That's why he was never on. <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be number one. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to say. Um, was it a guest? You know, because I know that yeah. there was some guests that came in that you were you were like you could tell that you were you were like totally like in awe that they were coming in. Absolutely, and you then they the respect and the just the 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 starry eyed look. I mean, yeah. you you definitely brought some people in who did that to you. Yeah. We're not talking about Shazam, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was that's a guy. He became friends. He becomes friends with everybody. Not he, everybody. He can't get away from. He can't get away from these people. They're texting him while he's out in the middle of the Antarctic Ocean. <laughs> For, that's true. I'm right. I was on the boat going to Antarctica. And I get a text from Burt Ward. <laughs> really? How Robin. exciting is that for me, Robin? That's crazy. And if, you immediately tell all the, the all the guys like all these manly men who are on those rowboat that you hold guys- on i'm killing dinner <laughs> i don't want to hear about robin the boy blunder <laughs> hey, 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 drop that harpoon and look at my text from robin so yeah bird ward fucking pops up on my phone he says hey brian uh, hope everything's well uh, i'm looking to get in touch with kevin i saw supergirl blah 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 can you get me in touch with kevin i said no problem uh happy new year i'll do what i can mm-hmm. and sent the message to somebody who sent it to kevin and next thing i know uh, i get back from Antarctica, and I'm looking at Kevin's page or somewhere on the internet, and there's Burt Ward getting his uh, star on uh, the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and Kevin's standing there next to him. So oh. I texted Burt back, and I said, hey, I just got back. I see you got your star, and Kevin was there. Congratulations, and a second later, I get it back. Thank you. New phone. You, new phone. Who dis? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Burt, So, you know, uh, I'll answer your question. Um, the moment that stands out in my mind as a, a huge, um, just a, I guess, a, just a win for me in every sense of the word was when uh, Kevin fired the whole season two crew <laughs> and the showrunner and all those people, and and I had to come in and you know I had to come in and um, and and direct those final podcast shoot with Kevin. I had to really like prep and find out what went on this season. I was doing uh, the other show, and uh, when I walked into that. P- that podcast room, that space, that set we had, uh, everybody uh, clapped and was howling and applauding. 
And I felt like I just won the Super Bowl. It was very touching. You know, I loved the show. I did not like that I wasn't running season two. Um, I was consulting, although I was never consulted, actually. But I was there. I was available for consultations. Oh, yeah. You told them that you you would be available for consultation. But they're like, we got this. Yeah, that's right. Which they did not have it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not yeah. even close. Yeah. And, and so, you know, walking in there, getting that reception uh, was, was, was wonderful. Um, Stan Lee... Multiple Stanley appearances. No, right? I wasn't there. That was that first oh, Stanley was season right. two. That's yeah, it was season two. Yeah. I, I actually much uh, enjoyed the second one much more uh, because of your idea. Like when Stan comes in, it's like he's there constantly, and we don't give a fuck that he's there. <laughs> it's like, hey, what's up, Stan? Like we're so depressed that the fucking <laughs> that kingpin's like I'm not that much in the comics anymore. We're like, Stan, what are we gonna do? <laughs> Amazing. He, uh, you know. But was we, such that a great, was a great day, man. It was a fun day. Yeah. Stan loved it. And it was just a seamless day. And when we were leaving, I held the door open for him, for him to leave. And he stopped and gave me that classic old-timey, like, put his hand on my shoulder. was like, hey, kid, you're a hell of a director. Aww. And I was like, I got chills. I'm like, are you actually coming from you, Stan? That's two. Uh, Adam West, of course, you know. Batmobile race. Batmobile race with and Adam West. It was West. fun too, right? I mean, it was like, and the dude was like, I don't know, at that point, I mean, he's, a, he's an older guy. Yeah. He's, he's got, it's hard for him to get into the car. Yeah. And he's still like, I'll do whatever it takes. He was amazing. Whatever, whatever you guys need, I'll do it. I mean, he was your co pilot. You were driving the Batmobile with Adam West sitting next to you. Yeah. It was unbelievable, you know, to have that voice that we grew up on. Yeah, he still had the voice. Oh my and he would God. say, like, hey, Walt, like yeah, that. When, yeah, said, like, when he said your yeah, name. Yeah, when he said your name, it was so surreal. And he said my name, and he's talking to me, like, not off camera, like, yes. in the Batmobile, what we're going to do. Yes. And I'm just looking at it, and I'm just like, and I'm like, hey, can you pinch me real quick? So uh, this is not this, this yeah. is not a dream or not? I lower. didn't say that, though. Lower. <laughs> pinch me lower. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I was at a con once, and uh, I, I saw Adam West. This was after, you know, a year or two after we had, he had been on. And he recognized me, and I was blown away because it's like he wasn't here for that long, you know. But, but there was a certain very, validation. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. You're yeah. like, oh my god, he like he remembered me. Yeah, yeah. I'm worth something <laughs> for whatever reason. For a minute or two. Yeah, yeah. Not too. It wore off very quickly. You know, I mean, it's like Kevin used to always say on those podcasts. He used to say, you know, eight year old Kev would have, and that, you know, it's true. It's like. You know, I would really. You just flash back to sitting in front of your, you know, faux wood zenith. You know, with the fucking rabbit the cabinet ears, and all that shit. You know, and you're watching that show, thinking that those are the two baddest ass mofos in the world. And all of a sudden, you got Adam West going, "Hey, Brian, come here. I want to run a bit by you. Yeah. Like, you want to run a bit by me? Well, walk up the the building uh, sideways, flip the camera, like." Anything he said, I said to you, how about I come in and I grab that big uh, statue of myself and I drop it down on the bell. So fucking do whatever you want. Oh, you're going to let him drop a statue? No, yeah. no. He didn't. <laughs> it was boxed. It was still boxed. <laughs> yeah, there was this whole bit. I couldn't say no. Whatever he wanted to do. You're set, Mr. West. We were talking earlier on uh, the show that I do with E-Rock. Um, would you kindly? Bioshock reference. Mm, nice. Um, oh, fuck. Where was I? I'm, I'm so sick. Really? Like, oh, yeah. You don't got like, that, that Chinese. That's what he was saying, yeah. That's what I said, I and I, I told him out of courtesy. I, look, I drove Call me gay, will you? <laughs> <laughs> told him you were, I told him you should wear a SARS mask. And really? He didn't wear the SARS mask. He was sitting what's, in my What's the symptoms? Um, achy, a lot of coughing and congestion and shit. It feels like a bad cold mm-hmm. is what it feels like. But, oh, my God. Of all days, I'm like, we're doing, you know, Michelle's doing his uh, podcast tour today. 
doing it up in New York, then coming down here. This is rare. We don't really have people on that often. No, I, you know? I fully uh, appreciate uh, the seat at the table here. And I'm playing hooky from work. Really? Oh, yeah. What, is there a show that, like, I mean, I'm sure you can pick one that when you did it, you were like, oh, my fucking God. Every second of this is torture. I, I, I just, I want it to end. Uh, yeah. You don't have to say which one. No, no, I did a sh- I, You know, uh, for a while, I was sort of on staff at a production company. Like, before I did Storm Chasers, I was on staff for, like, I don't know, two or three years at this production company. So I had to do whatever they gave me. So I ended up doing things that were not necessarily in my wheelhouse or things, like, as a freelancer that I would have chosen to do. So I entered, like, the fashion world for a couple of shows. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I don't really want to be in that RuPaul? world. No, it wasn't RuPaul, but there were, uh, you know, I did a show with uh, transgender women, which was fun. You know, I mean, I learned things, but it wasn't necessarily in my wheelhouse, but it was good stuff in the sense I don't, I don't want to be too negative about any of it because one of the things How I like- How would it not be fascinating though? Like, no, that's what I'm saying. Like when, when you do a show with like, like real housewives or like, I remember Jeremy and uh, mom did a show with like people that worked in a nail salon, like- it's like drama is not interesting. Being transgender, that's fucking interesting. No. Like I, I couldn't hear enough about it. Right. So that's what I was going to say. Like I get to enter these worlds. So when else in the world am I sitting down with three transgender women talking to them about whatever surgeries they had and the whole thing from you know beginning to end when they discovered this and how it went. And, you know, that's just I, – I, I could find negative things to say about almost anything I've done, but – I love the ability to enter these little worlds. And a lot of times you enter them, you leave them, and you're like, great, I learned a bunch. I don't need to go back into that world. Obviously, I'm sitting here today because this was one of the worlds I loved. And to, to bring it around again to what I said before is like, I feel like we bonded so, so not, not instantly, but pretty fairly quickly, we bonded, like me and the, and the four of you and Rob Bruce, um, <laughs> Just out of that, that <coughs> the fact that we grew up in the 70s. You know what I mean? We had all those references. And that was, that was all I had to bring to the table. Besides, like, I know how to produce a show, whatever. But for me to sit there and come up with banter topics, every one of them had to do with television shows. It was never comic related. You know what I mean? So that was always my biggest fear that somebody, that somebody at the network would be like, hey, uh, you know, somebody uh, from Marvel or somebody wants to interview you. I'm like, you know, I'm a fraud. I, I, I got no comic book rap. Even to this day, I have no comic book rap. Well, I revealed after Comic Book Man was canceled, my, one of the biggest secrets that I kept, you know, that I, like, I was terrified. I lived seven years with, with the fear that this was going to come out and uh, somebody was going to find out that i hadn't read a new comic book in seven years the whole time we were shooting the whole time we were shooting i just i had grown out of the new stuff and i was just buying old stuff like and <laughs> meanwhile look at how i lived my life during the show <laughs> Rep- unrepentant junkie mm-hmm. going missing mm-hmm. total fuck up and he's like what if people found out i didn't read a new superman <laughs> the secrets we keep yeah. the dark web of not even keeping a secret i'm like i need more pills <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I was so, like, worried that, like, people would come in and, like, you know, like, when the sh- at the height of the show, they'd come in and they want to talk to you. Oh, my God, do they want to talk to me? <laughs> and so I would have to, like, fake, especially, like, well, like something that was, like, Walking Dead related. Did you see the new issue of Walking Dead? Or did you watch the new episode of Walking Dead? Be like, oh, my God, I would have to, like, fake it and be like, and just, and just like, just snow my way through, like, and convince them that I, I did read it and I didn't know what they were talking about in the most, like, Vague gen- generalities. Is that the right word? Yeah. 
Uh, so it's like I said, man, I would go home like sweaty, like, oh my God, someone's going to realize that I. <laughs> would you run home? It's like, no, I just. <laughs> I didn't read the new Superman. It was just. But I thought that would come across pretty fucking poorly on a kind of show about the only show in existence about yeah. comic books. Well, and the, the, one of the guys, like, well, Kev doesn't read new comics, and then I don't read new comics. Mike would have been. But like, goddamn well, I don't. Yeah, yeah so it would have been really a poor form, I yeah. would think. Thank I'm sure AMC wouldn't have been happy yeah, with no, that. Yeah, no, well, thank God we were living in the past on this show. Like, everything we <laughs> talked about. We rarely about. talked about new stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we didn't talk mm-hmm. anything about it. And new that's stuff. what the one year we had. Remember uh, the one producer we had, Jamie? Mm hmm. Right. I like him. Yeah, yeah he, was he a good knew guy. his shit. He knew comics, so he would pitch stuff to me. He got a job was... at DC eventually. I went Did to he? yeah, I went to see in, in LA. He he got a job at DC. So clearly knew, knows his shit. So yeah. like he would come to me and be like, "Hey, we should do a storyline with this and that." And I'm like, "I don't know what you're talking about, but it's not interesting because it's not related to the shit that I know." Yeah, the past. So we lived in the past, right? I mean, think about it. Gloriously, though, man. I mean, we Gloriously. had Jamie, Lindsay Wagner, Lindsay Wagner, Jamie oh, Summers, Jamie Summers, highlight. I mean, that's like the dude from Ghostbusters. Ernie Hudson. You worked in an ice cream truck truck selling comics yeah. with Ernie Hudson, who, by the way, is on a Netflix series now. Right. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. Lou Ferrigno. I'm going to put Lou Ferrigno in my top five. I still haven't answered your question. I gave you three. Oh, yeah, okay. But Lou Ferrigno was a seminal character in my upbringing because my father was into weightlifting and he was really into pumping iron. We had a VHS tape of pumping iron. So I had seen pumping iron when I was a kid. And my father somehow was uh, at the gym with Lou and his father. There was this whole connection where Lou was like a hero in our house. And we used to watch the Hulk. And my father had all these stories and would show me these old magazines about, you know, weightlifting magazines from Lou. And it was really funny because I – Sounds sketchy. I wanted, <laughs> I wanted my father to come down and meet Lou Ferrigno. I'm like, that? He's coming to the comic shop. Like, you can meet Lou Ferrigno. <laughs> And my father's way, way, way introverted, right? Doesn't want to talk to anyone, doesn't want to do anything. And he's like, oh, yeah, maybe. And my mother's like, he's not going to go. <laughs> I'm like, Dad, don't fall into that. You can go and meet Lou Ferrigno, man. So in the end, he, he, he kind of led me on. He didn't come, but he gave me a magazine. He's like, can you have Lou sign this for me? So I, so I took it. Um, <clears throat> and then actually I had breakfast with Lou and my wife. My wife came down and we had breakfast with Lou, which is a, a highlight of my life. Awesome. So that's four. That's four. Um, uh, you know you're going to miss one that was like – there was a lot of them. You yeah. Know, you look back, there was a lot of like – like I can't – weird like, wow, I can't believe they came down. I can't believe this you know celebrity from the 70s is here. The one that, the one that we always chase though, I mean, it's the only regret. White whale? It's the only regret is that you couldn't get the fucking – White whale in a leather jacket? Yeah. Yeah. Winkler, man. That We're... is the only one, man. Boy, did we have plans for that. Yeah, we did. We tried. Catching the quarters on our elbows, all of it. Oh, we had it all. <laughs> the lip-ups we were going to do on the register. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. It was going to be fantastic. We were all going to be dressed like Fonzie. Yeah. No, he would have been treated like a fucking demigod. Yeah. Yeah. I did, um, I did the Jim and Sam show one time, like, over the summer. And uh, I walked out. You know, after I, I was done, I walked out. And the producer, Roland, is talking to henry winkler and i had to i had to talk to roland so i'm standing this close to henry winkler looking at him like what the fuck this is crazy (laughs) and i wanted to ask for a picture so badly and i'm like if he says no it'll be crushing so i'm just like (laughs) fuck it (laughs) then later on roland was like he's the nicest guy ever he 100 would have taken a picture there's no way he says no yeah um but you're right yeah that was the one he ended up doing a show called barry because like 
when you were like, we're trying to get him, but he may be doing this other show. I always had the attitude of like, yeah, bullshit. Like I don't never believed anyone with that kind of stuff. They just don't want to do it. But yeah, he was on a show, Barry, which was actually really good. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, he was really like real acting. Yeah. yeah it's a good you know, like, not being like, time. Hey, make my coming do lip ups. He's like, <laughs> this is where my career's at. <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing. No matter what you've done, you know, after, you know, 1978, when you enter comic book, man, yeah. that's it. You're Arthur Fonzarelli. I don't care. Children's books, Academy Awards, whatever it was. Right. In this house, you're Arthur Fonzarelli, and you better fucking throw those thumbs up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't get it. Or you can sit on it. <laughs> One I reference a lot when people ask me about the show is uh, Billy D. Williams. Yeah. Because the conceit behind Billy's visit here was unbelievable. And the way – that was the most unbelievable scenario that, that played out at this very table – I forget why we always had a reason why they would enter the store. Like, well, what are they doing? In the big, we had the big Millennium. Falcon. But how did he know? He heard about it. Saw it online, or he saw the episode. Okay, we bought it. Even better. Yeah. So there you go. Billy D. Williams had home. It's about that was true. It's about twelve fifteen a.m. He's watching Comic Book Men season two. That's being kind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like two a.m. What time end. zone is he in? <laughs> he comes in, and you guys play go fish. For, Which was an homage to what, right? He, was, didn't, he, didn't he lose it in a poker battle? The real Millennium Falcon or something like yeah. that? Yes. That he also appeared sedated. Like I, I, <laughs> I thought that he, I thought he was just old and out of it, but then I hear like something he did recently. It's oh, like he was just in a new Star Wars. He yeah, that's amazing. it. Yeah, that's what. I, was, yeah, it must have been you that said it. Yeah. Well, I question that. Really? I question. They're doing a lot of stuff with computers and stuff. And yeah, you can tell. That. I oh, question. That was really him. Was it him? Yeah, because I only shot him from the neck up. Well, you know, we so, fell asleep for seven seconds at the counter, standing up when we were shooting our little I bit here. I think he just was. I think he still hadn't gotten off the plane from the West Coast when uh, he got when he rolled him in here to play, do that. He was like, "I'm fucking Lando Calrissian, and I'm playing. I'm, playing, I'm going to play Go Fish with who is this guy? <laughs> I guess. I guess. I don't we know. We got a list of all the best Billy D. William lines from out <laughs> from from through the ages, the, the, and it's uh, a. Cult. <laughs> Yeah. Colt 45. Yeah, Colt 45. <laughs> what was that line? Well, was, I don't remember the line, but like people would just yell it. Like his handler would yell it to him and he would just say the line. Yeah, right? say the lines. Yeah. And then he did that whole line. Uh, when he got the Falcon, tied it to the limo. We rented a limo for him <laughs> with a driver. And the Millennium Falcon was bungee corded to the limo. And then he said that uh, that that thing from Empire or Star Wars about like the old pirate or something. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Like that was. But he called you an old pirate? Yeah. It was a line. Like yeah. we did it like verbatim. We were like, hey, do the line. And I was like, what's the line? And we gave him the line. Yeah. Don't you wish it meant more to you? Like there are people who would be like yes in the moment it really didn't but I think as I get further away from it I agree yeah as you get further away from it, I guess that's like almost like in anything if you get you're able to distance yourself from it a little bit you look back on it with more fondness than you did in the moment right yeah, yeah. well for you it's like everything. it's over <laughs> like I don't have yeah. to do it anymore <laughs> so now I can look back at that Billy D experience and be like holy yeah. shit like he called me like he busted a line. On me. It's just bizarre. But the beauty like the of, of, that- of shooting the show, like, you know, it's, it's funny because I've said this and I've heard Kevin say it separately. Sometimes people would ask me, like, who's your favorite actor? And especially when we were shooting the show, I would always say Walt Flanagan. <laughs> Walt Flanagan is my favorite actor because if you know Walt outside of the show, you know, you know. You <laughs> Which know you Walt. probably don't. <laughs> right. Which you don't. You haven't earned it. 
But then when you see Walt sit down with a heavyweight like Billy D. Williams. Yeah, that's, that should be like very um, scary. Yeah. But I tell you, I was more scared of the crew at first. <laughs> Years in, he's still like, look no, at I Jeremy Schneider, like, so, so professional. Like, <laughs> so I'm telling you, yeah, it was a very intimidating. All these guys with their big equipment. All these guys, hey, oh. <laughs> and know uh, what they worked on before. Braggarts. I, I felt like the fraud. You know, I felt like, well, like, well, I'm a, I'm a dude who works in a comic book store. There's no reason I should be doing this at all. But when Billy D came in, it was more like you just, like, it was like, it didn't matter. Like if you fucked up, because it was like you just, it just didn't matter because it would have played almost if yeah, you fucked up. Because if you were nervous, people would be like, yeah, oh, well, why, why wouldn't be you be? Yeah, yeah, of course. So it didn't. It didn't. Almost as like, well, I should be nervous, so I'm not going to worry about me being nervous. And that's why you're the world's greatest thespian. <laughs> See, I, 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 I think you, like if you had been like, oh, I'm nervous because it's my first day on the camera crew, then okay. But like you're doing something that they they're not. It's a totally different job where like your expertise is in knowing all this shit. Which is something they wouldn't do, you know? Like, there's no reason to be intimidated by a guy with a camera or a fucking sound thing. There's no rhyme or reason for it, I guess. But, like, I'm telling you, though, it's like they're they're just – my knowledge of what I know mm-hmm. is so like stupid in my you know, in my opinion. No, it's meaningless. The yeah, shit we know. Yeah, these guys know shit that matters and is, is making, <coughs> you know, get, making the careers for them. And I'm fucking talking about a comic book that I liked in 1974. <laughs> if any number of blue juice guys were like, I'm going to move from New York to L.A. They they have a transferable skill like that. I moved to L.A. I'm like, I want to make fun of people for liking comics. They'd be like, Well, there's no job like that. And that was great about the show is like we sort of had jobs that it's like people be like, well, how do I do that? How do, and I'm, I would be like, I don't know. Like I don't know. I, like it's not like we tried to do it. Like everything just sort of unfolded. So so after the show ended, I would get calls. I mean I'm going to say calls like it's 20 calls. But there's probably I can think about four off the top of my head of from either production companies or agents saying – um, and sometimes sending me tapes saying, hey, we have a comic book shop in you know Dallas or wherever, and we want to do comic book men, but with these people. And I saw some tape on people, and I wouldn't go near it. I'm like, listen, it's not going to work, so don't even do it. You don't have the guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I didn't want to go anywhere near another comic book show. You know, you tend to do something in this business, and then you're like, oh, well, he did the comic book show. We'll get him to do this comic book show. I'm like, it doesn't work that way. I didn't invent that show. That show was more or less happening, and we sort of made it happen for TV in a little bit of a different way. But it was all about the characters. So none of those knockoffs would have worked. Because if you if you just pitch it on paper without you guys as talent, and you know, and certainly Kev as well, it's like what do you have? You get some old timers talking about comics, you know? Well, I, th- I think the thing is like, when we went into it, like, I think I'd probably known Mike the least amount of time. And by that point, I'd known him like 17 years. So, <laughs> so you can't right. take you guys can't. who have known each other that long and, and know each other. You can't fake that kind of, oh, you can't replicate yeah. it. Nah. And that was when they would try to throw in, you know, an Oliver Brady Bunch reference. They throw in an Oliver, like put a, uh, you know, Whatever. We pushed you, for an Oliver, you know. Yeah, you did. Last year, Gidham was working here. Yeah. And, you know, that, that work was like, no. You can't. Well, you can't <laughs> what, you gonna, Fashion you show. Gonna, like, we want his gut out. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to take some dude, put him in Led Zeppelin? <laughs> you know? I mean, we feel like Led <laughs> Zeppelin needs a flautist. Take this guy. Forget it. You can't do it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would, at the beginning and end of every season, and as you guys know, we had a lot of the same people working from yeah. season one on. 
Um, I would I would give a little speech at the beginning, and then I'd give a little speech at the end, and I would tell everybody, and it really went out, especially to the new people, like you're going to have a lot of fun here. This is going to be the most incredible TV experience of your life. Don't get used to it. It will never happen again. Cherish every moment of this show because any other job you have in television is going to suck. In every way, this show was awesome. I, Jeremy just was here. Um, Schneider. Schneider was just here uh, about uh, less than a week ago. He just popped in for a second just to say hello. Fun. He's making the rounds. He came to my office too. <laughs> he mm. said the same exact thing. He said the same exact thing. It must be because he heard your speech. Did he quote me? Did he, did he, did he footnote me? Because that's my speech. <laughs> yeah, he said it. He's taking my bit There'll never now. be another one like it. He just was. And you know what? You And even a cynical guy like myself, I believe he's telling the truth, though, when he says it, though. So it is nice to hear, though, because. There's no reason to say it at this point. Yeah, no, at this point, yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. It's a God's honest truth. It's even the truth just in terms of the work. Like, we basically had. You know, day jobs like we we worked Monday through Friday. I mean, every season, maybe we shot a couple of weekends or a couple of weekend yeah. days. You know, we tried to get you guys out of here when you would normally get out of here, so we like rarely 11, shot past right? seven o'clock, no, eleven to six never. usually. I mean, it was it was uh, yeah, it was basically eleven to six. Season two was <laughs> fucked. Season two was like nine <laughs> o'clock at night. It's like yeah. fucking seriously, right. you assholes. Um, and for for anyone who doesn't know, the crew, this jackass included, got free housing at the Jersey Shore. Mansions. Yeah, we that were living plays in a big factor into the into the whole overall experience. Oh my well. god, <laughs> it was it's brutal. Just the, it's just not the cast. My kids grew <laughs> up in you know in Ocean Grove every summer, coming by the stash, you know, having this beach house, and then season eight, you know, they really fucked me by canceling the show because my kids were all ready to go back to Ocean Grove, and they're like, "We're going to Ocean Grove again, right?" And I'm like, "Well." Daddy's going to have to pay for it this time, but... Yeah. The comic book might have let and, you down. And apparently I don't have a job, so how's that going to work? But we did it. It was the greatest job ever in so many ways. But um, yeah, I don't make friends either. Like, all my friends are my friends since middle school and high school. But, it almost you know, seems to be like a... Like, I don't know if it's specific to Jersey, but like, yeah, like the friends you have when you sort of leave high school. Like, you're a friend I made, Troy. Like, there are certain people that I've become friends with post high school but for the most part the people i'm tight with are it is you know the one interview i ever gave about comic book men season one was to amc so it wasn't like you know the new york times was interested in what the fuck i was doing down here but uh they they asked to call me up hey give me some they had some questions for me and i do remember them putting in that interview that i even back then when i didn't know you guys that well i compared your relationship to the kids from stand by me mm-hmm you know, it's mm. like I could see you as those kids growing into this where, you know, that classic scene we actually tried to replicate, which never aired, where they mm. have those conversations like, what is Goofy? <laughs> yes. You know, yes. and about Pez and shit. Um, but that that is a very special thing that you cannot replicate. And that was so obvious to me because I have those kinds of friends. Like my friends knew me when I was 11, just like you guys. So walking in here, it felt familiar to me. Even though I didn't know you guys, your friendship felt familiar. <coughs> Did you ever feel like a past season two or three that you're like, there's no way this is getting to seven? The way that they were just burying it and the way that like it was like barely mentioned. We succeeded the- against all odds. It's fucking <laughs> no, crazy when you think about crazy it. crazy that they kept it on that long and barely – and didn't do anything with it. They never showed it other than like 1 o'clock in the morning and then it was gone. They liked – they genuinely really liked it. Joel Stillerman and Marco, you know, they really liked it and they loved Kevin obviously and Joel would say to me like – 
you know, we, we like being in the Kevin Smith business. Right. You know what I mean? And they also liked having this <laughs> special little nugget, you know? And, and I don't know if it ever really made financial se- sense for them in a big way to keep it on. But I, you know, I know a lot of networks. The, they were really good people over there and they really liked the show. And, you know, they told me, and you can't ever hold them to this, but they were like, as long as Walking Dead's on, I feel like you guys will keep going. So I thought we were going to do 10. I called it, you know, like like right. Babe Ruth pointing over at the uh, the and wall. Every I season, thought I thought it was going to be the last season, except the season when yeah. they said no, no right. Isn't that it? I, I, the same. Real, I Every season at the end, like towards the end of summer or, or the beginning of uh, the summer, I'd be like, it ain't happening this year. It ain't happening this year. And then you, then you get the call. I never thought they would cancel it on the heels of Kevin having a heart attack. Yeah, that's what uh, Michelle was saying earlier. Like, the timing was so poor. To, like, he's only gotten way bigger since then, yeah. you know, not physically, but, like, he's so well-known now, like, more so than during right. the show. So, like, yeah, yeah. it would have been beneficial to um, to keep the show. Still, I mean, he's seven years, he's still, that's crazy. I it's never crazy. thought it would last that long, especially after that first season. I didn't think they would air all six episodes. <laughs> I really Dude, didn't think they would. The little show they could. Well, I mean, when you think about it, it's like, the odds of doing what we did – I'm not patting us on the back or whatever, but well, the should. odds of everything working out the way it did is so fucking rare. Right. You know, It's such rarefied air to, to be like uh, – Kevin called me like, you guys want to be on a TV show? And I'm like, oh, I guess, to doing seven seasons of that TV show. So when people like – when it got canceled and you tell people like, oh, man, it's like – but seven seasons for people who are like had no business on TV in the first place, that's – it's not it's, common. It's not common at all. Um, you know, we, we talk about building a format a lot in television, right? That's like a buzzword. You know, what's the format? You got to make a format. I think this was a very unique format that really was designed for a smarter audience, right? That didn't need those on-the-fly interviews, talking heads, explaining everything. So I feel like that kind of that built-in, you know, Kevin Smith kind of geek world audience uh, could – kind of unabashedly enjoy this show without feeling like, oh, I'm watching a reality show. Mm-hmm. I think we really rode that line of kind of curb your enthusiasm, semi-scripted, and also full reality show. Like, I, I've, I'll maintain it till the day I die. Like, the most reality show show was comic book man when when stuff got rolling was the end of my sentence when we like said we had a ghostbuster and ice cream truck because when stuff got rolling (laughs) that's what that's and that's what i mean when stuff got rolling like that's why i said oh you mean once 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 everything's in place that's right you say okay turn it on that's right and then go we set the stage a lot of shows if you look carefully you'll see people with little flesh-colored things in their ears (laughs) we call an earwig and there's people in a control room feeding them lines I spot it all the time. I would never have done that with you guys. I'm, was that suggested to you, season two? No. Nah. Earwigs? It is uh, – it, it, it's just unbelievable that it worked and went. You told me uh, very early on, you're like, I don't think you understand how easy it is to work with you guys because normally if you tell people like, have a conversation about this, they're like, well, what am I supposed to say? Yes. What do you mean have a conversation about it? Whereas with us, it's like, here are five to eight topics to have conversations about. Go, and then just do it. It's an art that you guys have mastered. It's impressive, you know? It really is. I think I actually remember saying it at like one of the the, the rap parties or something. Like anyone who who doesn't recognize the work that you guys do, like, oh, it looks so fun. People watch it at home and, oh, we should do that. We should have a show like that. It's like, it's work. I don't know. I could sometimes – 
feel like am, am I asking them to talk too much? But they're doing it. Can we just rap? I mean, they're doing. They it. won't shut up. This is crazy. I would be so mad if someone kept telling me to you know talk, talk and kick shit around. But it seems endless. It's just fascinating. So what did you go on to after comic book man? Would you want to talk about? Are you able to talk about it? Because yeah, I mean, it's yeah. really interesting. I thought the uh, the one you just were on. Oh, can I interrupt you real quickly sure. though? Because I know you guys have families, and if you got a family, you sure need insurance. So we're talking policy genius. Uh, let me see. It's January 2020. The year 2020 shows up a lot in science fiction. Is that true? Yeah. I don't know that. A lot of people predicted that by now we'd be teleporting to work or living on Mars, and a lot of those predictions were wrong. The truth is we always get the future wrong. That's not true, which is why we need to get life insurance right. Oh, not comma, right? It's not a question. It's a statement. That's when policy, That's where policy genius can help. Uh, they make finding the right uh, – oh, my god. I'm sorry. Policy genius makes finding the right life insurance a breeze. A minute you can compare quotes from the top insurers to find your best price. You can say 1500 or more by using Policy Genius. I'm going to use this for uh, life insurance, Michelle. Got to get some life insurance. You know, you get married and you got a kid. Oh, yeah. Can't die. The next thing you know, they're on the bread line. Once you apply, I mean, they're almost on the bread line now with my income. So if I'm gone, they're fucked. I'll take care of them. Yeah, okay, cool. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and red tape. And it doesn't just make life insurance easy. They can help you find the right home and auto insurance or disability insurance. I wouldn't mind scamming disability. I'll have to check it out. So if your science fiction dreams for 2020 still haven't become science fact, don't get discouraged. Get insurance. It takes just a few minutes to find your best price and apply at policygenius.com. Policy Genius will always get the future wrong. Better get life insurance right. Well done. Thanks, man. Look at that vein he's got in his arm now, like that guitar player vein mm. in the right arm. You know what I mean? Is it like from playing guitar? Joe Perry guitar. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I was telling him, it was like when I lost weight, it's like I, I look like the visible manimal. You can see like all these veins and shit in my legs and arms, you know, especially yeah. if I'm like like working out. Or yeah, something. yeah, you're vascular. Vascular. It's not pretty though. It looks weird. It's a little sexy. One of my favorite things that you did that really made me laugh, going back to the Lou Ferrigno thing was – you know, Lou's trying to get me to go on a diet and work out and all this other shit. And he comes and he spreads out all this food on the table and he's like, here's what you got to eat. And um, he's like, you know, what do you have for breakfast? And I tell him like six to eight mini donuts. And when I watch the episode, I notice that the word mini has been <laughs> surgically excised. <laughs> so it seems that I eat six, like at least half a dozen donuts, possibly eight. And I'm like that motherfucker. <laughs> Funnier without the mini. It it fucking made me laugh. I I was like, I had to rewind it. I was like, he fucking took the word mini out. You're welcome. Again, (laughs) your reality just, you know, beefed up a little bit. Could you imagine doing that to a real housewife or like one of these, like, uh, what would you call like uh, like high maintenance types? Oh, God. A drama queen. You say you ate fucking eight donuts. (laughs) No, they wouldn't get the funny. But picturing you eat six donuts for breakfast is really funny. Yeah. And I'm like, I want to work out. Though. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sorry. So what? Were, what was your question? So, so, like, what are you working on now? I know. I know what it is. Oh, yeah, right, it's right. very oh. cool. Very yeah. uh, dangerous. Yeah. Much more dangerous than uh, <sighs> filming in a comic book store. I would say a, a little more dangerous than that. Um, yeah, I just got back a couple of weeks ago. Uh, was shooting a uh, documentary for Discovery Channel. Uh, where six ocean rowers were attempting to be the first uh, rowers to go. A, 
across the Drake Passage from South America to the tip of Antarctica. Uh, and Drake Passage is notoriously uh, regarded as the most treacherous waterway on the planet. So these guys were rowing, uh, three guys rowing at a time, uh, three on, three off. Every 90 minutes, they, they would shift. And uh, we were following them in a boat, a 125-foot uh, former uh, Japanese uh, research vessel. That they said rocked like crazy we hit the whole time. five storms on the way down, <laughs> big storms uh, with swells, you know, 20, 25, 30-foot swells, um, sometimes for 20 hours, 24 hours of just continuous storming and the boat just going from side to side, up and down. Uh, and you're just getting bashed around, you know? Do you get um, seasick? Yeah, I've, been, I've gotten seasick before. Not when I go on a cruise, though. Uh, right, it's too big, the boat. The, the boat uh, is way too big, though. Yeah. That shit I'd consider jumping overboard. I'd be like, I, I can't take it. It's too much. What was funny is if five more days. <laughs> I got to tell you, if I, if I had uh, this, the speech the captain gave me when I got on there, and it was basically like, you know, if you think you might get seasick, you know, take medication, put the patch on, do anything you can do to not get seasick. Because if you get seasick, he's like, I'm going to have to pull one of my crew to babysit you and make sure you don't die. And you will feel like you're going to die and you're going to wish you would die. And if we don't monitor you correctly, you may die. From seasickness? From seasickness. Because, you because you'll, you won't be able to keep anything down. Oh. And you'll dehydrate and you'll have no electrolytes and salt in your body and your kidneys would shut down. So he's like, if it gets really bad, we'll have to give you uh, seasickness medicine through your anus with suppositories. That's something we've had to do with a lot of people on this ship. And I'm like, if this guy gave me this speech when I spoke to him on the phone, uh, I may you have found someone to your else wife? to do this show. <laughs> yeah. Now, now- yeah. Could do you think it's just because he's done that before he got on the boat, though? Like at, at home, maybe with the with the wife, and like you know the suppository. Yeah, you know, why did you let the captain do it? Yeah, like why would you just put the no. suppositories so, so, in before so, you go? So you the, don't have to, and so it's not you know. Well, right. <laughs> the way it works, the way it works is if if you you have to prevent seasickness. Once you cross over into the line seasickness? into seasickness, it's very difficult to get right. back. No to number of suppositories are going to help you. Do, you do preventative because a lot of people go into these things like being too proud. Like, well, I'm, I'm a tough guy. I'm not going to get seasick. But they make a uh, – it's a prescription patch. They call it a scopolamine patch. Scopolamine, right? Yeah. Scopolamine patch. And you put that behind your ear and it works for three days. It it's distributes the, the medication to you over three days and that is a preventative. So, yeah, I put the patch on. I, I had a bunch with me. I gave them out to whoever Did wanted Did anybody them. have to get the, uh, the Nobody, butt, the butt, uh, to the credit of, the uh, of my crew, nobody got nice. seasick. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of the rowers had a couple of nights where they were sick, but they were in a whole other world as rowers, well. Rowers, guys who were, who were used who, to this. Yeah, but, it, it, you know, you really don't get I – guess, I guess you do get immune to it. But the way it works is either like you're a person who's going to get seasick or you're a person who is like not going to get seasick. And if you're not sure, you should put the patch on and make sure you don't cross over to the other side because it's a dark and dangerous, ugly side. So I had – I was not too proud to say patch me up, Scotty. You know what I mean? So I had to patch on and it worked. I wore it for three days and then – How long were you on actually on the boat? I was on the boat for 23 days. In the days. middle of nowhere, right? Yeah, for, for, like as far away from civilization as you've ever been. Uh, yeah, by far. Uh, with, a, with a guy who won't leave him alone about suppositories, says, "How are you feeling? <laughs> you look a little green." <laughs> it, it was just to be safe. <laughs> no one for the skipper. Yeah, no, it was. I was very, very far away. It was. Uh, it was. Uh, it was unnerving to leave uh, home and oh, be so far and you away. Left on, over the holidays, right? Left so you over were gone the holidays for the, for the holidays. That's I, gotta I was, be. 
It's got to be rough on the heart too, man. Huh? Um, I got to tell you, Walt, I'll be honest with you. It wasn't that rough on the heart because <laughs> I, I, I shut my heart down. You got I had it, to right? shut it down. Yeah, you can't be in both worlds. You know, we'll do this a lot. And I didn't have to do it with the, with the stash, obviously. But when you do kind of those adventure shows, you know, you're out chasing tornadoes or you're in the middle of a you jungle dual somewhere. survivor. The dual survival. I did storm chasers. And, you know, you're, you're at risk and you are uh, sometimes very far away. You're in jungles. You're in jungles, you're in deserts, forests. And you have to shut off, uh, and not, not, not saying it in a tough guy way, you have to shut off any kind of fear. And the recognition that you could die, one misstep and you could die. So you can't quake around cameramen and sound nope, guys? Nope, so <laughs> And you also have to kind of shut out your uh, your real life. Because you don't want to be caught between the two worlds thinking about like, is the, uh, you know, is the, is, is the boiler working or right. is so-and-so taking the trash out? You got to shut that shit out and do your I job. how you can do it, man. I, like I said, much props. I mean, yeah. it's... it's uh, that is that's a man's man right there. Fuck yeah! Where do you leave from? Like you fly somewhere and then you get on the boat. Yeah, so where do you yeah. got to fly to? You fly in there's really like two Patagonia? places to leave. No, well, yes, part of Patagonia. Yeah, you fly. You could either leave. You could either leave from a that's place a real, called that's a real land. Yeah, Patagonia is a I region. That was like a fucking farm. No, like a it's, fucking it's Lord like, of the Rings land. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful mountainous uh, land. It's the tip of South America. It, it extends through uh, Chile and Argentina. So you could either leave from uh, um, a place in Argentina called Ushuaia, but we left from the Chilean side uh, a little town called Punta Arenas. And you fly into the capital of Chile, and then you drive down to Punta Arenas, and then you get on a boat, and then you go on the boat for two days through the Beagle Channel. It's really beautiful, and that's like what they call Tierra del Fuego. It's a beautiful land. And then you get to Cape Horn. And once you go out past Cape Horn... Then you're in Drake Passage and you're in the open ocean and you're getting battered by wind and currents and you're at the mercy of Mother Nature and then the sea. It sounds hellish. And now this was to break a record, right? Yeah, these were the first guys to do it uh, completely human-powered. So no sail, no motor, and they rode for almost 13 days. Every time you turn around, one of your shows is breaking a Guinness record, right? Do you have to bring a Guinness representative with you on the boat? No. <laughs> no? Unlike, uh, Cheerio. Unlike we did <laughs> at right. Jay and Silent Bob's Secret Stash, where we had the adjudicator in his fancy blazer. Yeah, right. to, there to witness all the biggest Jay and Bob uh, uh, cosplay happening in one location, right? Yeah. We still got the plaque on Never. Of course you do. No one can ever take that away from you. But how come the adjudicator's like, no, I'm not going to do that uh, one. But I have to be there. I have to be there in Red Bank. You're like, yo, yeah. yo, bro, stick this well, up your ass and get on the boat. <laughs> the, the, truth, the truth is we didn't need the adjudicator for, for, for the uh, Jay and Silent Bob record. We could have... Uh, giving them videotape evidence, but we wanted the adjudicator for television. Right. Oh, so that was all just for for cameras. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we were we, doing we fake wanted shit. him. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. he was a lovely he was a lovely gentleman, the adjudicator. But in this case, they just really they just follow our uh, you know they follow the GPS the and yeah, and we're documenting the whole thing. Um, and these guys, the captain of the rowboat, has a long relationship. Apparently, he's got thirty. Guinness Book records in the field of ocean rowing. So he's very tight with the Guinness people and they were looking forward to his record. And I think we broke like six well, or set like now, six right? new records. Well, you don't want to say no, that. it's fine because there are little mini episodes on discoverygo.com right now. There's 14 episodes. So we, oh, okay. yeah, we hooked up a satellite antenna. We were, we were sending like up to 10 minutes of footage back uh, a day. So that the team in New York could put together these little web episodes. So it's out there. It's been in, you know, it's been in the New York Times. Uh, the dude, uh, the main rower, uh, Colin O'Brady, 
um, who had never rowed before, but he had set this other Antarctic record. He was the first person to walk across Antarctic, unsupported uh, Antarctica. And um, yeah, he's been all over the press with it. So cat's out of the bag. We're putting the documentary together, like feature length, 60 or 90 minute doc right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, cat's out of the bag. The records are set. Um, and it was good. So and- was they banter and when they're rowing or are they just like just- – <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Very oh, little banter. Witty banter about like, you know – Characters that you want, like, you know, from the seventies that you'd like to uh, be a roommate with, or like movies about rowing boats. <laughs> <laughs> Top five rowing movies. <laughs> you, you, no. you, opening scene of. Uh, <laughs> you would hope so. Uh, yeah. No, but I, I mean, no. definitely Amistad has to be up there, right? <laughs> oh, no, without question. <laughs> and then uh, you know, I, I believe there's a rowing scene in the opening of Dead Poet Society as well. Yeah. Um, oh, probably Goodwill Hunting too. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of Goodwill Hunting. Crew, those yeah. other Boston. Shows. So no, no witty banter. This was not that kind of show. It no, it wasn't more, that kind of it was show. More about biceps, like you know, and uh, and, uh, and blood, sweat, uh, and tears. Anybody cry? Um, <laughs> there, there were tears. <laughs> <laughs> it's just him. I'll never admit to. I don't want any more suppositories. It's just it hurts too bad. It just it hurts too bad. I'd rather throw up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please, Captain. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, there were there were there were some very poignant moments where where fellows tears of cried. joy. I tears of joy. At one point, a giant cruise ship came oh, out. A giant of, crab. No, attacked awesome. the ship or something. No, oh, <laughs> uh, no a god, a giant octopus or something like twenty thousand leagues under the sea. Those are the kinds of things <laughs> I would say to the network when we're talking to the network about the show, and we're like, yeah, hey, well, you know, I kind of got the beginning and I got the end. Hopefully, they make it. And it's like, well, what happens during the row? And I'm like, you know. They're rowing. I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see what happens. You know, like if a, if a giant squid attacks How the awesome boat, have that's it. Like, like a gigantic squid. It was, was a blank slate, but <laughs> ah, no giant squid. No giant squid. But a big, a big uh, cruise ship came out of the mist, out of nowhere, like a ghost ship. And to see the giant cruise ship. A deserted ship just floated by? I, I wish I could tell you it was full of skeletons, but there was people on it. Oh, okay. They were on their way to Antarctica. And that was the time when the rowers got very emotional. Now you, they got emotional seeing the cruise ship? Yeah, because it was like the first sign of like real life, and, uh, and the people were waving to them and cheering. It was a huge moment for them, and they uh, they got welled up. Maybe not banter, but did they talk to each other? Yeah, like, they definitely rowing? talked to each other, because the deal is there's six guys on the boat, three are rowing, and so in the one cabin, oh, so when there's storms, nobody can row. So then you got two guys in, in one cabin together, which is just like a little tomb at the front and back of the boat, and then you've got... In theory, four guys, giant dudes, six foot two, three guys, like big athletic dudes, crammed into not this like little comic book man. Not <laughs> the opposite of the comic book man. <laughs> Complete opposite. <laughs> These guys rode across an entire ocean. They're yeah. in better shape than I was. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's, it's like you're trying to jam you know, like like Thor, uh, yeah. like four Thors into a boat, and uh, yeah, and they were they were had to like lay on top of each other and spoon each other and basically what? yeah, just to lay head warm? to toe. To keep warm, but just to stay out of the storm. Cause oh, so they never left the rowboat. Whoa, 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 what? They never left the rowboat. Yeah. They never – oh, no. They can't leave the rowboat. They live on the rowboat. And they spoon. They have <laughs> to – yes, they have to lie on top of each other. For warmth, it was freezing cold for every them. Every day? No. Oh, well, every day, yes, for two of them. So if there's three guys rowing, one was, one was in the bow cabin, one was in the stern cabin by himself, and two – were in the bow cabin, but then when there were storms, nobody could row. Oh, so, so they couldn't. So there was no room for them to go to a, like a private room. So they had to spoon in front of everybody. <laughs> well, they weren't on our boat. They were on their rowboat. Right. They stay on their. So rowboat. there wasn't enough room in case it was a storm for them to go in, get off the 
the the rowing. They, at, well, probably wouldn't no, be a record then, ever, right? Yeah, they couldn't ever get off the vessel. No, no, no. You don't think like so. They're not able to row because there's a storm. Yeah. So they have to stay in their locations where they would be rowing if there was no storm, right? Yes. Because there was not another cabin for them to go to. So then, so we're like, they're in this part of, this, of the boat yeah. because there is no other cabin for them to go to. And so then they're like, it's cold. We got a spoon. Well, well, it's really like a long, 25-foot long – I'm going to show you a picture of it. 25-foot long uh, rowing vessel. The, the deck is open where the rowing seats are. But then in the front, in the back – it, it almost looks like a little Tylenol capsule, and, and you have to slide in there like a little coffin. So they all slide into this little coffin together, and that's where they sleep and eat and drink. What about – And they poop in a bucket. In front of the other rowers? Yeah. No! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. There it is. Oh, there get them just popped up. Wow. Yeah, that's that... me. I'm right here in a boat, you know, shooting It looks like stuff. you're underwater. Well, because the swells, like sometimes they would they would totally disappear and then and then bounce back up. Thank you, get them. So, so, wait a second. Well, how long does it take you to get used to that, though, where all of a sudden your, your guys, your camera guys, you have to, I guess, I assume shut down or, or film something else. We're like, hey, I need to take a break here. Yeah, they don't say anything, but they would, as a courtesy, we would tell them, like, like, listen, we're not going to, we have really no interest in watching you pee or, right. or shit in a bucket. So, um, <laughs> you know, as a courtesy, we'd see a guy get the bucket in place and, you'd be like, okay. and we'd put our cameras down gotcha. or, or shoot something else. Gotcha. Yeah, that's, yeah that, that's the boat. That's our actual uh, so there's So where does someone go when they want to sleep? So, Underneath? So in here. So these little hatch doors open up. So this is the smaller, like in this one is the navigational stuff. And so the two leaders of the expedition, the captain and the first mate, would sleep in here. And the other- How cold was it? I mean, the water was like 30 degrees. The air was about 30 degrees and the winds were, were freezing. I don't know. The wind chill must have been extreme. It, they were freezing cold and covered in salt water the whole time. It was miserable for these guys. And so when there's a storm, four of these dudes were supposed to go into this cabin, but they quickly found out it was too small for four. So then one of them would sit out here, strapped into this thing with a little strap and hook. In pitch blackness. Well, it only got dark between like 11 and 3 a.m. down there. There's mm-hmm. not that much darkness. So, But yes, for a few hours, very dark. And then waves would just be coming over and, and trying to knock this person out. And then every 90 minutes, they would switch positions. He's got a strap, not the way you would want to be secured in. Definitely could have been washed off the side. He got a strap clipped on there. You could kind of see it right there. Um, It was really dangerous. Oh, I. It was really dangerous for these guys. But I mean, but still, though, did they. Did they know that there wasn't going to be enough room for them? They would have to like spoon. Yeah, they they yeah they did. Like when when we were setting up our cameras and kind of building out the boat with all their gear, they tried it out, and four of them went in there, and they were just like, "No way, dude, this is wow. not going to happen." So, That's but even for three of those dudes, they're literally lying on top of each other. And those storms, in theory, they could have lasted for four days or five days. Now, is this life changing money for these guys after they break uh, this record? No. Damn. It's it's a record. It's I mean, just for their own to just to do it. I can um, just as prove I can do it again. I need these to are guys test myself. like one of the rowers. You know, three of those guys rowed the Indian Ocean together, right? 
one of the guys, the captain, is, as I said, like the world's greatest ocean rower in history, holds all the records. You know, one of the dudes who, who was rowing is... That must suck, though, like to be the best, but no one really knows. It's like it's not like you're Tom Brady or... Uh, right. Or, the, or Michael Jordan. Right. You're, but you're the Michael Jordan of rowing, but no one knows. Right. It's, oh. it's frustrating for him. We, we spoke a lot. We, we spoke a lot about that, you know? It's um, like the Qbert guy who came in and he's like, "I created Qbert." <laughs> and you're like, "You would never know otherwise." Yeah. Did you spoon oh. with the captain? <laughs> Tell him, Steve, Dave. I see you putting your jacket. Sure. On. Oh, I'm just fucking freezing. I'm yeah, so Brian's cold. Yeah, Brian's dying over here. Yeah. You say, so, Tell him, Steve, Dave. Go on, man. Let's do it. Let's yeah, do, do you it. Have another ad. No, no more ads today. Sure. Yep, I'm sure. Yeah. Got enough, of, um, Brian. A show. We can. You come. Back. We, we could always. Yeah, you could come back. Uh, now is, that you've appeared, well, you cut me off. Now that you. Well, I mean, it looks like I'm getting the hook. <laughs> Brian's got his brief. This morning, I was lease in his hand. Look at him. This morning, I was like, should I just cancel everything? That's how shitty I feel. And then I was like, nope. No way, dude. No, no, no. I was looking forward to this way more than I was looking forward to anything else. We do something else. Though. I'd love, now that you've appeared officially on Tell Steve Dave, yeah. you are now eligible to become a part of this tournament we're having on our Patreon called the Purveyors, Posers, and Playlists, where we have a, a music debate. Oh. oh, he'd be good. You're big into music. Oh, it's right up my alley. Okay, you, you're in? Yeah, I'm in. All right, all right. So stay tuned for that. I don't know when. It, this tournament can take years. Quick, can I ask yeah. you a quick question? I've been. Oh yeah, there's, the, there's a trophy you can win. I can win that trophy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. so in? Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah, I mean, my greatest possession ever. People <laughs> care as much about that as the rowing guys. <laughs> Tell them, Steve. Yeah, I have one question. It's quick. And it's yeah. a very. It's a very. I think the guy never heard a button in his life. <laughs> I didn't know it was coming. I mean, you're fucking coughing your sars on me. <laughs> Get him's tempting me with that big purple statue. Quick question. Yeah. Uh, you need to settle. You need to settle uh, yeah. a debate for me. Yeah, uh, and I'd like to hear from each of you. And I know it'll be top of your head. Um, who, what four rock bands or individual artists go on the Mount Rushmore of classic rock? What four? Yeah. In my opinion, yeah. Jagger. Okay. Uh, the the uh, even though I know it's controversial, Townsend. Okay. So, you know, controversy. Next up is R. Kelly. You don't know what he did? <laughs> I know about it. I don't know. I, I refuse He's an old school it. rock and roll guy. <laughs> oh, no. Was it my kids? I don't give a shit then. <laughs> <laughs> I like some of those. I like Tommy. Yeah. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> I haven't heard that song enough times. You, you, you do Bubba O'Reilly, you get a pass. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. I, I know you're going to... I know you want to hear Paige, but I think I think Plan. Okay. And uh, that one's got to be a Beatle. I don't care which one. Ringo? No. Uh, yeah, you McCartney. do care. I guess I do McCartney. care which one. I was going to say McCartney or the guy. All right. So, killed, so essentially Lennon. you're saying Zeppelin, The Who, The Stones, and The Beatles. Is that four? What about The Doors? That's four. Yeah. Nah. No? No Jamarson up there? Wrong? No, I'm not. There's no right uh, or wrong. I'm just okay. curious. No, the... <laughs> No, I, I kicked no. your head. Though. I kicked the. No, I was shaking my head no to the Doors. Oh, okay. I kicked around the Doors, but I found that the Doors only have one great album. Only one mm. great album. I find in my in my humble opinion. What album? Uh, the first album. Yeah. Yeah. And then you know Morrison Hotel has got some some great moments. There are some other great songs, but no other great complete album. I can't give him Mount Rushmore for that. Mm. Yeah. What about Skinnerd? No. 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 no Nah, there's, there's an argument to be made. I'm just Crosby, saying, no, Stills, mind. Nash and Young. Nah, more folk rock. Yeah. So you're, you're. This is great. You could entering this. You could. I know you're. You're. 
your appearance now on this, you could go. He's over willing there. to overlook kids getting molested. <laughs> How the fuck could he not win? I've been overlooking <laughs> Steve. Dick. Yeah, no, shut up, Michelle. <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> Nobody ever listens to me at home, guys. You gave me a microphone. You invite me down here. I, I want to keep talking. There was one more thing I did want to ask you. Yeah. About this. I know you probably don't want to come down on it too hard in case you. you know, I know you, you never know where you're going to have to work. But what's your opinion on these gross-out shows? These reality shows like Doctor Pimple Popper and My Fear Ugh, Killing Me. Disgusting. Are, is there anything more? grotesque and more exploitive and how do they find these motherfuckers who are willing to go on t- tv with a fucking growth on their neck the size of a fucking a midget yeah no it uh let me field this one there's nothing more grotesque than mike and ming being on tv <laughs> please say it please say it please i don't feel well i want to get the fuck out of here tell him steve Dave. thank you 